the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? You've been praying about something, you've been working towards something, and then the door opens up. And you know the next words that you say are going to make it or break it. It's a decisive moment. You've been praying for something like this for a long time, and now it's here. What do you do? Actually, yes, I have been right there. And it was terrifying and wonderful at the same time. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida is our teacher, and we're in the midst of a study of the life of Nehemiah. Let's go to the second chapter of Nehemiah as Pastor Steve concludes this two-part message. We'll start with some review of why Nehemiah had to wait so long for God to answer his prayers. Here's Pastor Steve. According to Gabriel, starting with Artaxerxes' decree in March 445 BC, the addition of 173,880 days would bring one to the exact time when something significant would happen in Messiah's life on earth. Research led... Sir Robert Anderson to conclude that Artaxerxes decree, issued his decree to Nehemiah on March 14th, 445 B.C. Beginning with that date, the 173,880 days end on April 6th, 32 A.D. Thus, the 483 years ended on April 6th, 32 A.D. What significant thing happened to Jesus the Messiah on April 6, 32 A.D.? When referring to the end of the first 483 years, Gabriel said, until Messiah the Prince. Whatever happened to Jesus on April 6, 32 A.D., it must have been related significantly to his being the Prince, the King of Israel. Sir Robert Anderson concluded that April 6, 32 A.D. was the day on which Jesus officially presented himself as Messiah to Israel through his triumph entry into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9.9 had declared that Israel would identify its king in the following manner. He would come to Jerusalem mounted on the foal of a donkey. Some of the crowd on that Palm Sunday recognized the significance of Jesus' actions on that day, for they called him king. As Jesus approached Jerusalem on that day, he wept over the city and said, if you had known, watch this, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now... They have been hidden from your eyes. He warned Jerusalem that it would suffer great disaster because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus' language indicated that that particular day had been marked out by God as the time of Jerusalem's visitation by her Messiah Prince, the day which could have brought lasting peace to that city if its people had accepted Jesus for who he was. It also indicated that the Jewish people should have recognized that that particular day, April 6, 32 AD, was the day on which Messiah would visit Jerusalem as Prince 
Why should they have recognized this? Because several centuries earlier in Daniel 9.25, God had, reve- had revealed the exact time when Messiah would present himself as prince to Israel. Now, do you understand why Nehemiah was praying four, five months and God didn't answer until that precise day? Because he was fitting everything into his prophetic calendar. That is profound. That is, that is a tremendous truth. Why did God wait to answer? Because that was the day he had purposed to answer. And you say, well, well, my stuff's not as big as that. Oh, isn't it? Doesn't God work in the grand scale? He will, you know, maybe you're not going to have something as, uh, as, as uh, re- pertaining to biblical uh, prophecy, but he wants you to be patient and wait on him because he has it all figured out to fit into his plan. He has the precise day that he's going to move in your life to do something to fit into his eternal purpose and counsel. That's the kind of God that we know. God has it all figured out. So you need to be patient for the precise day. Some things are bigger than we realize, but God has it figured out to the precise moment and day. Be patient, trust him to fit your problem into his overall eternal purpose and plan. So the first human responsibility you have is to just be patient. Understand that there's a plan. Understand there's a reason behind it. Even if you can't figure it out, God's got to figure it out. Nehemiah didn't understand that 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 day was going to affect hundreds of years later the Messiah coming. So be patient. The second responsibility we have is to be wise. To be wise. Uh, Verse 3. Verse 3 says, And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, uh, lie desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? After assuring the king of his loyalty, Nehemiah spells out the reason for his saddened heart. But I want you to notice something that's very significant. It's unusual. He doesn't mention the name of the city of Jerusalem. And that's intentional. I I don't believe that he left that out uh, accidentally. That's on purpose. He just calls it the city, the place of my father's tombs. Now, why didn't he mention Jerusalem by name? Because he was wise. You see, several years earlier, this same king, King Artaxerxes, had issued a decree to stop the Jewish people from rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. There had been some people who wanted to rebuild the wall, and they even started it, and he issued a decree that said stop. Let's, let's turn back one book to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4, this is about the same time period, but, but these verses are a few, uh, few years earlier, before Nehemiah was involved in this. In Ezra chapter 4, verse 11. Now, there's a lot of uh, jealousy going on here. You had Samaritans. That was a mixed group of, of Jews and Gentiles back in the land. There was political intrigue. Regardless of why it happened, it happened. And so it says in verse 11, this is the copy of the letter which they sent to him, to King Artaxerxes, your servants, the men in the region beyond the river. And they're just speaking about Judah now. And now let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the, re- the rebellious and evil city and they are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now let it be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom or, or toll. And it will damage the revenue of the kings. In other words, they're not going to pay their taxes. This is a rebellious city. The city has a history of, of being rebellious. 
Now, because we are in the service of the palace and it is not fitting for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore we have sent and informed the king. Actually, that had nothing to do with it. They were just jealous and uh, envious and political intrigue here. Verse 15. So that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers and you will discover it in the record books and learn that that city is a rebellious city and damaging to kings and provinces and that they have incited revolt within it in past days. Therefore, that city was laid waste. We inform the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls finished, as a result, you'll have no possession in the province beyond the river. So in, verses, in verse 19 through 21, we read, And a decree has been issued by me. King Artaxerxes listens to his subordinates, and he writes a, de- a decree. And a search has been made, and has been discovered, that that city has risen up against the kings in past days. That rebellion or revolt have been perpetrated in it. That mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem, governing all the provinces beyond the river and that tribute custom and toll were paid to them. So now issue a decree to make these men stop work that the city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. And so what they did is they, they tore down the walls, they, they burned the gates, and they tried to demoralize the people, uh, the subordinates of Artaxerxes. And that's what, ne- that's what Nehemiah is faced with. He didn't know what the result of this decree was. He knew about the decree because he's in, in uh, close to government, but he didn't know the situation, and that's why he's so brokenhearted because he's learned that, that that's what has happened. He certainly knew that it was broken down from when King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the city, but he thought that it had been somewhat rebuilt, and now he finds out that it's not. So Nehemiah knows that Artaxerxes, the king, considers Jerusalem a rebellious city. So he purposely doesn't mention the name of the city. He purposely doesn't say Jerusalem, even though Nehemiah knew or or Artaxerxes knew that Nehemiah was Jewish and he certainly knew what city he was referring to. He knew he was talking about Jerusalem. But why, um, why say anything that's going to arouse hostility? So he wisely and very tactfully leaves out the name of the city. He instead... He speaks of, uh, notice verse 3, he says, it's the place of my father's tombs. That's very interesting. In other words, he appeals to the king's sense of reverence for relatives who have died. It was customary, really, an attitude of respect for deceased relatives to be prevalent in Middle Eastern culture. And so he, is, uh, he, he aroused the king's sympathy. That's what he's doing. He's being wise. And what's the principle here? God expects us to use our head and be wise when he opens up opportunities to resolve a, a, a crisis. Be tactful. Be wise. Don't express your anger or frustration. Don't blow it by being frustrated. Use your sanctified common sense. This is not being manipulative. This is not being deceitful. It's just using your head. Some of us might have replied to King Artaxerxes this way. Why am I sad? I'll tell you why I'm sad. It's because years ago, my people tried to rebuild this city, this wall, but you stopped it. Yeah, you stopped it. You didn't listen to them. You listened to your subordinates, and you just stopped it. You didn't listen to our side, and that's why I'm, I'm so sad. Now, you think he would have had a sympathetic ear? But many of us do that. God is opening doors of opportunity, and we go and we blow it because we, we vent our anger, we vent our frustration, a response like that might make you feel better, but it would have made the king defensive and threatened. And many of us do that to people. We, may, we, we, we bring out the worst in them because of the way we respond. Nehemiah is not like that. He's wise. But by using wisdom and tactfulness, Nehemiah must 
have struck a very sensitive note in the king's heart because the beginning of verse 4 says, and the king said to me, what would you request? That's tremendous. What, what do you want, Nehemiah? What can I do for you? You think he would have responded if he had, if he had vented his frustration? Now, this is what Nehemiah has been waiting for for four to five months. This is the decisive moment. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? You've been praying about something. You've been working towards something. And then the door opens up. And you know the next words that you say are going to make it or break it. It's a decisive moment. You've been praying for something like this for a long time. And now it's here. What do you do? Well, you do what Nehemiah did. Notice verse 4. He says, what would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I believe that Nehemiah must have been saying, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me the right words. You just send up an emergency prayer. Someone called it a prayerogram. You just send up an emergency prayer. You don't say, excuse me, I've got to go and pray in the other room. Just, Lord, this is the moment. Give me wisdom. I'm going through the door. Listen, when opportunities like this present themselves, you need to be very close to the Lord. You need to be in touch with, with Christ. You need to be walking with Him so that you can call upon Him for wisdom. Because you all, all of us know that in, in moments like this, it's very easy to forget something, very easy to uh, lose your concentration, very easy to have your mind go blank, forget a, a critical request, forget an aspect of it, or, or say it the wrong way, and then later you say, why did I say it that way? I, I meant to really say it this way. Well, because we failed to ask God for wisdom. James says you have not because you ask not. Jesus said if you need wisdom, ask of God. So we ask of God. When God puts you on the spot to, to move towards a solution, you need to have his wisdom. So you say, Lord, give me wisdom. So let me ask you, do you do that? I mean, it doesn't even have to be a crisis like this, but do you do that? When... Um, when you are faced with a difficult phone call, someone's giving you a complaint, someone's criticizing you, you say, Lord, give me wisdom because I really want to tear this person apart. Give me wisdom. I don't want to be frustrated. Give me wisdom. Or a, a tough confrontation with a fellow worker. They're looking you straight in the eye and you're thinking all kinds of things. But Lord, give me wisdom. I don't, I don't know what to say. Give me wisdom. Or you're dealing with a trying customer. Give me wisdom. It's all part of, of having God's wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me love. Help me to say the right things. Help me not to blow my testimony. Whatever would be your prayerogram, you need to seek the Lord and be wise. Don't, don't deal with it in your own strength, in your own wisdom, because you're going to lose your testimony. So Nehemiah asked God for wisdom at this decisive moment, and God gave it to him. So what are the responsibilities so far? Uh, be patient. Be wise. And there's a third responsibility in a crisis. Be prepared. Nehemiah was prepared. Verse 5, And I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him. I don't know exactly why he added the queen sitting beside him. Maybe because the queen nudged the king. I don't know. How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me and give me, and, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me. 
Though God certainly gave Nehemiah wisdom in knowing at that moment how to present his request, it's obvious that Nehemiah had thought this through. It's obvious that Nehemiah had done his homework, that he had, he had thoroughly prepared for this opportunity. He had a plan. He had a strategy. He had done his work. He knew exactly what he needed to get the job done. The king said, how long will it take? He said, it's going to take this long. How far do you have to go? He said, here's how far it is. He also said he's going to need letters of introduction, permission to pass through the various provinces. Because if he went there without thinking this through and they said, well, how could you go through here? Let's see your letter of permission. Oh, I don't have it. Go back then and get it. He knew he needed letters of of introduction, letters of permission for safety. He also had done his homework to the point where he knew the name of the man who headed up the king's forest in that area, Judah. I mean, he had done his homework. He had done his research. He said, it's Asaph. I need permission for provisions. I need need wood to build homes and build the, the wall of the city. Tremendous. Let's learn from Nehemiah. When you are faced... With a problem to solve, you need to do more than pray. You need to have a plan. You need to do your homework. God expects us to plan and prepare so that on the day God answers our prayers, we'll be ready. You see, living by faith doesn't mean a lack of good organization and a lack of, of preparation. Some people think that way. There are Christians like There are Christian leaders like that who think that way. They think somehow if you, if you plan too far ahead, you're leaving the Holy Spirit outside of your plans. They think that way. Believe me, they think that way. Uh, that's, that's wrong. That's a false kind of spirituality. And it lives by the motto, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours. I'm not going to sing, but you know, the Kesara theologians. Just whatever will be, will be. Uh, but that's not true. Listen, Nehemiah's plans were an exercise of faith. You know why? Because he believed God. He believed that God would answer his prayers and he prepared for that day. It was an exercise of faith. It wasn't a lack of faith. He was absolutely confident that God would open the doors. And when God opened the doors, he was ready to go through. It would have been absolutely ridiculous for him not to have thought this all through. King might have said, listen, if you haven't planned this out, you know, I don't want you to be away longer than you need to. I don't think this thing through and then get back to me. Some of us need to get busy doing our homework so that we don't miss the open door of opportunity because we aren't prepared. We aren't prepared. It'd be like, and it's sort of what I illustrated before, it'd be like, let's say you're, um, you're struggling with, you want to train your children better. And uh, you're, you're praying, Lord, give me wisdom, what to do. Uh, help me to know how to have family devotions, perhaps, how to have a Bible study. And uh, you're praying, you're praying, you're praying. And then the opportunity comes a few months later. Your children say, Dad, we, we really we want to know the word better from you. And you haven't even done your homework. You don't know what you're going to say to them. You haven't been taking books out. You haven't been thinking it through. You haven't been uh, digesting information. You're not ready for when the opportunity comes because you haven't done your homework. It's something like that. Chuck Swindoll in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, which is about Nehemiah, said this about preparation. He said, it's of great concern to me that so many people who undertake some project in the Lord's work enter without careful planning. They abruptly begin without thinking through questions such as, where will this lead us? 
How can I express this in clear, unmistakable, concrete terms? What are the costs, the objectives, the possible pitfalls? What process should be used? He says, I could name a number of individuals or families who entered the ministry with enthusiasm, but later dropped out because they had not considered the cost. The most disillusioned people I know are those in the Lord's work who are paying the price of not thinking through their plans. So we need to think through. We need to be prepared. If you're going through something now, ask yourself, what can I do so that when the opportunity comes, I'm ready? That's an exercise of faith. So we are to be patient. We are to be wise. We're to be prepared. The fourth responsibility we have is to be humble. Notice the end of verse 8, and this sort of brings it all together. The end of verse 8, the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. For four months, Nehemiah had bombarded God's throne with prayer. And now that God granted his request, he humbly gave God the credit. You see, he did not say, I'm pretty good. These plans worked. I, uh, I did my homework. I'll take credit for it. I prepared. The king knew how organized I was. I gave him answers like that. And uh, it happened. I'm, I'm not bad. I'm a good organizer. I could be a CEO in a company. He didn't, he didn't do that. When a crisis is solved, don't think that it was due to your careful planning. You are to carefully plan, but it wasn't due to your careful planning that it was resolved. It was God who opened the hearts and doors to your plans. Because only God can change the hearts of people who stand in the way of what you believe is his will. He can change the hearts of people to accomplish his plan. Not only believers, by the way, but unbelievers. Because some of us think, yeah, my, if my boss was a believer, that'd be easy. But no, no, God changes the hearts of unbelievers. Remember, it was King Cyrus, the unbeliever, who gave the, the Jewish people the uh, decree to go back to the land. Remember also, it was Pharaoh who God used in the Old Testament when Israel was to return. Also, remember, it was Caesar who issued the decree to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that Jesus could be born there. So God works in the hearts of unbelievers. They just don't know it. Believers know it. That's the only difference. But unbelievers don't know it. But that's, they don't need to know it. God is sovereign. So don't take credit for what God does. Just be humble and thank him. And that's what Nehemiah did. He said, I give all the credit to the Lord. Sometimes, you know, we pray and we have this little phrase at the end, and Lord will be sure to give you all the praise and glory. Well, just remember that you need to do that when it happens. You need to really do that. So your success in dealing with a crisis doesn't come because you were patient, doesn't come because you were wise, doesn't come because you were well prepared. It only comes because of the good hand of God was upon you. God will work out his will as he sees fit. But while we pray and seek him, those are our responsibilities. We're to do our part. We're to be patient. We're to be wise. We're to be prepared. And then when it happens, we're to be humble. God's part is to change hearts. Our parts are these things. So Nehemiah is just a great model for us. These are tremendous truths and a model for us to avoid the extremes of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. They're both part of it. Both pray and be responsible. That's, that all fits. So have you been patient? Whatever you're going through now, are you patient? Do you, are you waiting upon the Lord? Have you run out of patience? You need to wait upon him. You need to relax in his presence. You need to believe that God has a perfect timing. Have you been wise or are you taking matters into your own hands? You know, if you trust Jesus Christ alone for your eternal salvation, certainly you can trust him to give you wisdom to deal with a problem. 
This isn't as significant as your eternal salvation. Are you asking him for wisdom? And, and not just praying daily for wisdom, but when little opportunities come up, do you ask him for wisdom? Have you been prepared? Or do you have what I would call a pseudo-faith, pseudo-spiritual faith? Well, it's not, it's not spiritual to strategize. That's not true. The Apostle Paul had tremendous strategy. Nehemiah had strategy. They knew what needed to get done. They weren't leaving God outside. They were being uh, prepared for when God did move. Are you preparing? If you're working on a, on a difficult marriage, what are you doing about it? You're reading a good book? You're listening to tapes? You studying the word? Are you applying things to your life? Are you saying, this is what I need to do? You see, don't just pray, Lord, I'm so insensitive. Help me to be sensitive. Do something about it. Do, well, I can, well, I can certainly get my wife flowers. Christmas is coming. I can get a gift. I can think ahead of time now. Our anniversary is coming up. I'll plan. I mean, these are just things that we can do. A lot of it's just sanctified common sense, but, but be prepared. And are you humble? Do you thank God? Have you looked back and said, you know, this was a difficult time in life and God brought me through. Have you thanked him for that? Will you thank him for when he solves this crisis? Now, you, you need to think about this. These are questions that you need to think through and you need to apply to your life. Let's be still before the Lord for a few moments, quiet before him. And this is decision time. You're going to face a crisis sometime. In fact, some of us, it seems like our whole lives are facing these things. We call them challenges, opportunities. But you need to put these principles into effect. So where you have not been doing this, you need to repent. Where you have, you need to ask God to fine-tune it. Let's be still before Him. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you would like to know more about Verse by Verse or listen again to today's class, you'll find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.